Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. We speak Jesus here. It is uh, who we are. It is who we talk about. And we're glad that you're here. Good to see you today. We're glad that you have made it uh, today. Would you take your Bibles and find Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4. Love for you to have your Bibles open or smartphones. Some Bibles are there underneath the chairs, but uh, have something for you that you might be able to look at today. We're glad uh, that you have come. And uh, we always uh, have guests. If you're a guest today, uh, we consider you an honored guest, and we're glad that you're here today uh, as well. Uh, we are uh, in the midst, or just beginning, really, the second part of a, uh, a message of uh, messages on uh, who will you be in 23. And uh, so it's a good time to be able to determine who we're going to be. But before you do that, you want to know who you are in Christ. In fact, the book of Ephesians helps us with that very thing to be able to discover who you are in Christ. And so today we're in Ephesians 4. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 16. Keep your Bibles open so that uh, we might be prepared. And uh, before we read, let me ask you just to maybe whisper a prayer. We have 49 of our teenagers and chaperones who are at Pigeon Ford. They're at a retreat. And uh, so encourage your prayers uh, for these. They left yesterday. I'll be back tomorrow. Certainly pray for their safety. They've arrived safe. Pray they'll be back safe and uh, the impactfulness of that time together. And uh, so they are there today worshiping, and we're here worshiping. Continue to be the one church. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, says this I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. In love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried out by bare every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. If you were here last week, it may seem that we have skipped a lot here as we've gone from Ephesians chapter 1 to Ephesians chapter 4, but there's a couple of things that are going on here. We could spend many, many weeks actually in Ephesians, but hopefully under the Holy Spirit's leadership, we've taken these five weeks that are going to be looking and focusing on this book. We kind of do that most every January. We've taken a book or part of a book to kind of set the pace that we're people of the book, and so we're doing that very thing. And and then we're going to be kind of heading a little bit different direction and eventually get back to our kind of a 10-year plan that we're going to be continuing to preach through and read through all of God's Word. We'll be back in First Kings here in a few weeks as well and making our way. And our, our plan is to be in Revelation by 2030. And so that's kind of heading in that direction. But also in the last two years, I've, 
I've preached from Ephesians 2 and I've preached from Ephesians 3. Not that any of you would remember that, but uh, there's lots to be said, lots to be learned in Ephesians, so we're taking opportunity to learn all we can. And, but somebody will let me know, not because you remember, but because you wrote it in your Bible and you wrote my name and the date next to it. Now, if it was seven or eight years, we're not going to worry about it, but over the last couple of years, so, that, so that's uh, going on as well. But also, many of you know, in Paul's letters, he would often write and would dedicate the first part of his letter to things that you need to know, doctrines and teachings. These are the things you need to know. And then the last part of the letter, which for this Ephesians begins with chapter four, these are things that you need to do. Now we're gonna pay attention to both of these and we'll be looking back and forth at all of this, things you need to know and things you need to do. I gotta tell you, when I was early, early preacher, I remember thinking to myself, whether I said it out loud or not, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on theology and doctrine. Boy, that seems really boring. What I'm really going to do is kind of help people know how they live, how they need to behave, what it is that they need to do. Well, it wasn't long before the Lord convicted me of the error of my thinking. And the reason is this, because it is truly what you believe that's going to determine what you do. Not necessarily what somebody tells you to do, but the motivation is in what you truly believe and what you know to be true. Can I give you an example of that? Many of you, of course, have heard the passage of Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20 in the Sermon on the Mount to where Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You've probably heard this passage before and we've talked about to where you need to lay up treasures in heaven. But until we're truly convinced that this is true and truly convinced that this is what we need to do, We'll continue probably to continue to invest even more so in this earth. We'll continue to talk about the monetary and the worldly. But when we become convinced that this is true, then it makes a difference in how we give to God's church. It makes a difference how we invest in people, whether we really do want lost people to know about Jesus and go to heaven, and if we want to invest in ministry and in service. Otherwise, it's just kind of something that we say. So we're learning from Ephesians this month. You're reading from that. We've encouraged you to read Ephesians, whether it's once this month, once a week, or even every day to read through Ephesians. Well, we find in Ephesians, in the first three chapters there, there's only one admonition. There's only one particular command in the first, all of the first three chapters of what it is that we need to do. Now, there's a lot of implications and we recognize of things that we need to do. But that, that command is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by his hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the common wealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's go ahead and read verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Did you catch the command that is in there? And it is the command that we must remember. It's the only thing that we're told particularly to do in the first three chapters. Remember who you once were. Particularly if you're a Gentile Christian, meaning that you're not Jewish. By the way, when Paul came to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, the Bible says on his third missionary journey, he came into Ephesus and he preached in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, for three months. And he had many converts, but he also had a lot of opposition. And so he went to the hall called the Hall of Tyrannus, and there he preached for another two years and had many, many more converts. 
And then five to 10 years later after that, he writes this particular letter. So by this time of writing, the church there in Ephesus had become primarily a Gentile church. So Paul writes primarily to Gentile Christians and tells them, remember, you weren't Jewish. Remember, you weren't privy to the Old Testament law, to all the covenants that were in the Old Testament, all the covenants of God, and you were alienated from Christ. You were far away, but now you have been brought close by the blood of Jesus. So remember who you once were before you came to know Jesus. And remember the theme of this letter, who you are in Christ. I remember who I am in Christ. I remember also, as my dad has told me that uh, my dad was not raised in the church. His family didn't go to church, didn't talk about Jesus in their home, but a sibling and sometimes a neighbor would carry him to church and there he learned about the truth of the gospel. And upon hearing about the truth of the gospel, he gave his heart and life to Jesus. He became a minister of the gospel. All of his siblings and his mom and dad were also saved. And probably because of that, I was exposed to the truth of the gospel. Now understand, I'm not saved because my dad was saved, but he was sure that I knew the truth and, he was a, and that I was exposed to the good news at every chance and I made the decision for myself. Do you remember do you remember what the Bible says, Romans chapter five and verse 10, for, while we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you remember, do you remember how you came to know Jesus? Do you remember who influenced you to come to know Jesus? Well, what are you gonna do with that knowledge and that memory? Well, we've discovered already we're to give thanks, we're to bring praise, particularly Ephesians chapter one talks about all of these things of who we are in Christ is so that we might bring praise to his glory. And all of chapter three can be summarized by these things that one through three can be summarized by these things that we need to remember and know. And now as Paul is gonna be very specific and very practical. Notice the very first two words we read a moment ago in chapter four in verse one. He says, I therefore... Therefore, since you know these things, now that you know or at least have a better understanding of who you are in Christ, remember that you were once a self-proclaimed enemy of God or you did not know Jesus, but now you do know Jesus. Paul calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. Now, when he writes this, he was probably in a Roman jail for sharing Jesus. But he says, I'm, I'm not a prisoner to the Romans. Instead, no, I'm eagerly in chains for Jesus. And Paul now gives us our primary command for the rest of this letter. He says to walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Some of your translations may say, live in a manner worthy of your calling. It's a word that means how you're gonna conduct yourself from this time forward. I like the word lifestyle because as believers, we're called to a different lifestyle than the word, than the world. Now the word walk will permeate in the last three chapters and will become the theme of the rest of this letter. In fact, let me point out some of those in chapter four and verse 17, it says this. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. Chapter five and verse two says, now you need to walk in love just as Christ has loved us. Chapter five and verse eight says this. It says, for one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children in the light. And then verse 12 of chapter five or verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, if we're discovering who we are in Christ, who you are in Christ as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're to walk 
this way and not that way. You're to walk like Jesus walked. What, what does that look like particularly? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think if we pay attention, we're going to be able to see what it looks like to be able to walk in Christ. And if you're here today and you do not have the testimony that you were once lost and now that you are saved. Can I tell you today, if you're here today, and if you don't know that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not sure that He's in your heart, maybe you don't know if you have a home in heaven or not. Can I tell you that I believe because you're here today, because you're listening today online, I believe the Holy Spirit is at work today to knock on your heart's door so that you might also be able to have life in Christ, so that you might be able to know what it is to walk in Him and to be able to have that new life and discover who you are in Christ as well, so that you might be able to be forgiven of sin and have new life and eternal life that Jesus has to offer. So I'm just going to ask you, if, if you're one of those who are not sure if you know Jesus, not sure that you have a home in heaven, I want you to just be open today to listening what God may have to say to you and see if you cannot feel the pull or the tug or how the Holy Spirit may be at work in your life today. We have established the fact that Paul's a prisoner in Rome while he's writing this letter. Because he's a prisoner, not of a jail cell, but of Jesus and for Jesus, he urges us to walk and live a life worthy of our calling. In fact, his very imprisonment is an encouragement and an example for us because Paul is showing us how he might walk, even how he's able to, how he's ready to sacrifice for the Lord. In the coming weeks, we'll look at some of the different arenas in which we are called to serve and to walk in a manner worthy of being called children of the living God, including, we'll talk in a couple of weeks of what it means to walk in our homes and with our families. We'll talk about what it means to walk in the community and how do we be different from the world. We're even going to talk about how to walk, it may sound strange, but within ourselves because in Ephesians chapter 6 it talks about the spiritual warfare. But Paul begins in chapter 4 with how we are to conduct ourselves in what seems to be an extremely important arena. And that is as the church which is the body of Christ. In particular, maintaining unity in the church. Unity among believers is not a side issue. In fact, if you're following along in your notes, notice this, unity is essential and not optional for the body of Christ. Unity is essential and not optional for the body of Christ. We'll talk more and more about our mission as a church and your purpose as a believer, but in order to fulfill our mission and God's plan for you, it's everybody's job to pursue and to maintain unity. Notice again, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, read it a moment ago. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this unity is not something that we can create, but it is a gift of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Lord that we might be able to have. Now, notice that phrase, the bond of peace. Well, what do you think that is? Well, we know peace is a fruit of the Spirit. We follow the one who's called the Prince of Peace. So we recognize that we have that in common. Uh, he creates unity by the common bond that we share in Jesus. The peace in Christ is what we have to share. And we describe that peace by the fact that as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you know that you have Jesus who is living inside of you. You know that Jesus is going to continue to walk with you and be with you here on this earth. And when this life is over, we know that we're going to spend eternity with him. We may not always feel at peace. But we can always have that peace and the peace that we're able to have always permeates from that very truth. What's our, what's our job according to verse 3? You see it up there. It begins with an M. 
We are to maintain unity among believers. Why would that be important? Do you, do you know our mission at Parkway Baptist Church? Our mission has always been the same, but we've kind of redefined it, hopefully re-clarifying it, at least for what we call our mission for the 2020s. We put out a five and a 10-year plan. And our mission is this. It's to offer new people, new life, and next steps found in Jesus. It's that simple. It's what we want to do. If you can remember new and next, you probably can somehow be able to say what that is as well. We, we may not always be able to convince people that they need to follow Jesus, those who are, don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. In fact, it's not our job to convince. It is our job to share. But oh, the difference it will make if people can observe and see how much we love one another. Then we can have a platform to share with them about the love of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. That's why in the New Testament, we find more being said about how we're to love one another as the body of Christ, as the church, even more so than loving those outside the church. Now understand, we are to do both. But are we perfect having unity and loving those inside the church? We are not. That, that's why so much is said in the New Testament of why we need to love one another and why you're here today. We, we want to get better at promoting and maintaining unity. Well, how do we do that? Well, we're told in verse 2, it begins with these attitudes. Mentioned also there in your notes, humility and gentleness, patience and bearing with one another in love. Humility is also translated as lowliness, not thinking of yourself, but thinking of the good of others. Jesus was our best example who humbled himself and became obedient, even obedient unto death and the cross. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's not thinking of yourself at all. Instead, it's thinking of others. And the scripture tells us that we need to consider others before ourselves. Gentleness also there, it's, a, it's the same word as meekness. Now, Jesus is the example of all of these, but we know in the Old Testament, it was Moses who called the meekest man who ever lived, who was used as God's deliverer of the Israelite people out of Egypt, maybe seeing the greatest power that had ever been seen on earth. The Lord demonstrated that through Moses, ever demonstrated at least up until that time. He was called the meekest man who ever lived. It's power under control. It's using God's power to show gentleness, maybe sometimes by controlling our anger or even our attitude. Now, this is the, uh, this may be understood by Sometimes we feel like we have the right or the ability to crush somebody by our words or what we do, get back, maybe give them some of the same that they gave to us. But gentleness comes instead of crushing, instead showing kindness. And then patience and long-suffering is mentioned, putting up with unpleasant circumstances or even people for a long period of time. This word for patience or long-suffering is also a fruit of the Spirit. It can be understood as a largeness of the soul, literally a huge capacity for these last of the traits needed for unity, bearing one another in love. In fact, this is maybe how we bear one another in love, in humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that come naturally or easily? <laughs> well, we, we know that it doesn't. And the very idea of bearing with one another, bearing with one another, kind of comes with the idea there might be some friction sometimes. It may be difficult for some of this, but we recognize that we're all humans and we still have that selfish nature lurking around. So it's kind of like, well, be nice to the humans. Uh, if you want to get a glimpse of what is ahead, just look at the last verse in this chapter, Ephesians chapter four and verse 
32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so we want to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving, maybe even sometimes when others are not. But if we all, but if we all seek to be these things, we'll, we'll, we'll not only get through this, not only, but we'll achieve great things for God. Now, you may have noticed in your notes those four things, and you've got some six blanks that are there. I want you to, this is just kind of an activity for us to be able to make it practical as well. I want you to list maybe some workers in the church. And uh, I'll list some, but you may want to list some, maybe something that you are as well. But like, you might want to list a Sunday school teacher. And it could be that you could say, humility, gentleness, patience, and bear with others, feel free. Maybe you want to draw a line to the one you think is needed most. Do Sunday school teachers need these things? My goodness, how come so-and-so is not coming to Sunday school? Uh, how come you're always late to Sunday school? And you know, I, that's not for the first service people, it's for the second service people because the first service people are late to Sunday school if I'm late. Well, how about uh, greeters? Do they need these things? You know, the only thing that we require of this elite bunch who is the, on the front lines is that they smile. How about uh, nursery workers? Do you need humility, gentleness, patience to be able to, one who bears with others? Well, uh, where are those parents? Service was out 20 minutes ago. How about a ministry team member? Do you need a, do they need these things? Do you know what we used to call ministry team members? We called, we called ministry teams committees. But somewhere along the line, we changed them from committees. Nobody's on a committee anymore. In fact, you're on a ministry team. Can I tell you the change in the name does not always change the critter. It doesn't always change what it is. But we hope in the ministry team, we emphasize that word team. How about a choir member? Would a choir member need the humility, gentleness, patience, or bears with others? Why can't you put me by somebody that can carry a tune? Uh, how, about a, how about a kitchen worker? My goodness, why would anybody want to be a kitchen worker? Maybe the hardest working, the least recognized that there is, but I got to tell you, we eat a lot around here and I like food. I appreciate our kitchen workers. So can you see how some of these things might be important to the church if we're going to maintain unity? My general assessment of our church having unity and this is going to be a bold statement if you're visiting today, I hope that you'll understand, is that Parkway Baptist Church is pretty good at unity. We're not where we need to be. But I think we're probably perhaps even better than most. I'm thankful for the unity that we have as a church still far from where we need to be. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why I think that is, why that is the case for Parkway Baptist Church here in just a few moments. Please, please understand we must be assertive and not passive in order to maintain unity or grow even more so in this area. We can quickly lose unity if we are not careful. Or we see perhaps unity is only something that's kind of for the corporate body of the church and not an individual responsibility. And what we've seen so far, the attitudes or the fruits of the spirit that we need to have in order to maintain unity regardless of the position of the church. But what may be more important is the reason that we're together in the first place. What's our rallying point that makes us one in Christ? Now, as we have read this chapter, you may have noticed that uh, there come to those verses, if you read it before, there's many times that the number one is mentioned. Just looks like a lot of ones as we come to this, but uh, whenever there's repetition in the Bible, we know that it is important. We want to understand the importance particularly of that. And one has to do with priority, has to do with importance and unity. And there are seven of these. 
And these seven that are mentioned here are of supreme importance to you as a believer in Jesus as the things that are to unite us. Because our job is not simply to go along, get along, or to be among like-minded people determined by what we think. But would you pay attention to these ones if I told you that these were, some, these were the most important things that we are to know and who we are as believers. These are our core values. These are, these are essential truths of who we are. Seven one, essential truths. You've got them there. You could write them down found in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. We're just simply repeating them. There's one body. We are the church. We're the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of Jesus. We, the church, we're the only choice of the Lord Jesus in order to be able to share the good news, the hope around the world. We might not look like much, but all how we are able to demonstrate God's power displayed in us. One spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus living inside each one of us. Everyone who's a genuine follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit as comforter and guide. As the church is the body of Christ, so our bodies house the Holy Spirit. You can believe it to be true. The Holy Spirit continues to remind you of one hope. The third of our ones, the hope of the world, is found in the good news of the gospel. Now, hope represents a future and a promise, meaning that as a believer in Jesus, you can know the blessed hope. You can know for sure that Jesus is going to be with you, regardless of what you're going through, that he always has a plan, always has a purpose. You can also know, as we talk about a future hope, we know that Jesus is coming again. We know when this life is over, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus and with other members of God's holy church, all who are a part of the holy, all who are a part of the body of Christ and have the Holy Spirit living in them. One Lord is a reference to the Lord Jesus. We worship the one. All others who worship anything or anyone besides Jesus are worshiping false gods or Satan himself, even if they do not know it. Many people will tell you that they believe in Jesus or that they believe in Jesus plus something else. But, away, but unless they're worshiping Jesus alone and believe in the biblical Jesus, they may be far away from knowing Jesus, the biblical Jesus, as Lord. I was in a conference in, near Chicago, a Christian conference, and uh, Buddy and I walked into a store, and we were there at the checkout line, and the girl at the register, young lady, uh, she said, you guys sure talk funny. I said, Y'all are the ones that talk funny. But, uh, and so she told her while we were there from Alabama Christian Conference, started talking about church. And somewhere along the way, I said, you know, most important though is that you're a believer in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? And she said this. She said, oh, I believe in Jesus. And then she said, but don't you think the father and the mother are much more important? Now here I am at a register. I'm thinking, how am I going to untangle this particular conversation? <laughs> And so I just told her, I said, you have a Bible? She said, yes, I have a Bible. Let me encourage you to read the Gospel of John or any New Testament book and just pay attention to what it says about Jesus. So I was outside an airport in Miami and a Hare Krishna walked up to me. Now for this generation, many of you have no idea what a Hare Krishna is, but they used to be uh, around airports and many other places. They'd shave their head, wear long flowing pink chiffon robes, sandals, and chant a lot. I can't, I'm wondering why they didn't get more members. Well, one of them came to me and put a piece of candy in my pocket and handed me a big book. And he looked at me and he said, do you believe in philosophy? And I said, I believe in the philosophy that Jesus is Lord. Literally, he grabbed his book and began to run down the corridor. And I, started, I pretended to run after him. I said, let's talk more about philosophy. I did keep the candy, though, that he gave me. <laughs> you know, every time we have a baptism, I ask, 
our baptismal candidate. I said, and we prepared. I said, I'm going to ask you, there's the only thing you got to remember that who is your Lord? So, you know, of course, Jesus is your Lord. In fact, Jesus is Lord is the usual response. Well, one young man that I told that, he, uh, I asked if he wanted to practice. He said, yeah, he put his hands in the right place. We were practicing before we came down. And he said, uh, I said, who is your Lord? He said, Jesus is Lord is the usual response. And, uh, but you know, he's right. Jesus is Lord is the only response. It is all that matters that we know that Jesus Christ is our Lord with genuineness and sincerity. Is Jesus your Lord today? Also, we find one faith. We need to believe and have faith. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, and I've preached on this before, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. However, one faith is not true because you believe it to be true. One faith is the Christian faith. So whether you believe it or not, this is true. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh who came and lived amongst us here on this earth so that he might be able to give his life for us. And he died on the cross and he rose again. He ascended to the Father on high. He is at the right hand of the Father. All authority has been given to him, heaven and on earth, for now and forevermore. And he's coming again. And we can be sure and know that he's coming again. We also understand that Jesus is the way and the only way. No one cometh unto the Father. No one's getting to heaven. No one knows God except through Jesus. And for all those who are believers in the Lord Jesus, once you come into the family of God, the scripture tells us no one or nothing can snatch us out of the hand of God. Your eternity is secure. That is the one faith, one baptism. Bible speaks of spiritual baptism whereby we are immersed and baptized into Christ or water baptism symbolizes that very thing whereby we are immersed and baptized into him. I get asked questions sometimes. Do, do we, why do we think baptism is so important? Do we put too much emphasis in baptism? I usually answer, say, well, it's kind of part of our name. Parkway Baptist Church. Baptist come from uh, baptism. However, do not misunderstand that uh, you do not have to be baptized in order to be able to make it to heaven. And if you're not baptized, it does not keep you from heaven. However, baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two ordinances that remind us of what is essential. And everyone who is a member of Parkway Baptist Church, every member has been immersed into believers' baptism after they were saved, not as an infant, as a symbol of their new life in Christ. We have this outward symbol in common because of what's essential in Jesus, because we've been immersed, we've been baptized into Christ the moment that we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And having said that, we believe baptism is a step of obedience. And so it may be that you need to take that step of obedience. Maybe you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've not followed through with the believer's baptism. We encourage you to do that very thing. And then we find the seventh, one God and Father. We are family. And we have a father who has adopted us so that we might become one. Consider that he is God over all the universe, but he's father to all those who call upon Jesus. Regardless of our background, ethnicity, or culture in Christ, there is no longer division. No longer Jew or Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. We are one, and these essential truths make it so. Claiming these truths as our truth is what unites us and will bond us together and keep us together and will make us stronger 
and well above anything that could ever tear us apart. A couple of observations. I want you to notice the uh, Trinity that is used there. Verse 4 talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 talks about one Lord Jesus. And verse 6 talks about one God and Father. We serve one God. We know Him in three persons. Also, we understand talked about seven. Seven so often is used in, for completeness. Now, I've never been one of those who put much stock in the secret codes of numerology in the Bible. Only bring it up because these are the essentials. To add to these with something that is not biblical or not essential or to take even one away or to make something different to rally around would not create unity. In fact, it'd create something else. It would create disunity. We don't necessarily have to describe what you've seen disunity before. It's the opposite of love. It is bickering. Everyone looking out for themselves as unforgiving spirit or sometimes just apathy. Okay, so we've talked about the attitude and actions that we need to take with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another. We've, been, we've discovered and been reminded about what it is that brings us unity, these seven ones. But in order for us to have the unity we desire, there must be something more. So in a moment, we're going to discover what that is and why we're better off than some in, in this particular church. But before we do, we understand that we're not safe to be exactly alike. This church is unified, but we're not called to be uniform. In the body of Christ, there are many parts, just like there are many parts of the human body. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7 says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives gives gifts to men. Well, when you think of gifts or gifts in the Bible, what do you think of? Well, salvation is a free gift but also spiritual gifts. In fact, Paul's given this kind of a mini sermon here, a mini explanation of about the spiritual gifts. For more on that, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, but here he does it for a particular purpose so that we might be able to understand how the body of Christ are supposed to function. We'll do this fairly quickly, but you might notice there some of the gifts are mentioned here in these verses, beginning with the apostles, and uh, it may be that you want to match the apostle to the description of what that is. In fact, I encourage you, if you've got notes in front of you, even if you're not writing notes, go ahead and match it. So if somebody finds your notes, they'll think, they won't think that I just got it wrong. So uh, we'll say apostles. Word means sent one, referring to the 12, the apostle Paul, who were commissioned directly by Jesus. They were particularly significant to the first century church. The prophets, not necessarily at the church to predict the future, but they were more forth tellers of the truth. We understand and uh, explaining the first generation. In fact, I'm of the opinion, while we see prophets throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, in this time of writing, by definition, the office of apostles and the office of prophets are no longer part of the New Testament church, but were for that particular time. However, there are uh, many who have the gift of evangelism. And while we're all called to be soul winners, there are some who are particularly gifted and able to share the good news of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes we see that in evangelists and some preachers and some in crusades such as this. I'm going to tell you somebody that I think has the gift of evangelism. That's Scott Dawson. Scott Dawson has preached here before. Our young people are with the Strength to Stand conference that's put on by Scott Dawson. Thousands are there in Pigeon Forge with him. Hundreds, I believe, will come to know Jesus this weekend because of what's happening. And he'll help others and equip others as well. 
Some are called to be pastor. Word also in the New Testament, sometimes translated as shepherd, bishop, or elder. Jesus is the shepherd. He's called the good shepherd in John 10, the great shepherd in the book of Hebrews. Those of us who are pastors are merely under shepherds to care for and to serve God's people. I do like the picture of a shepherd as pastor because, you know, they're kind of out in front and leading and encouraging other people rather than a wrangler or a cattle herder who is always in the back kind of pushing around. Sometimes I do that thing and then the Lord reminds me that I'm the, supposed to be an under shepherd as well. John Maxwell once said about leaders, if you're leading, no one's following, well, you're probably just taking a walk. Clearly akin from pastors is to teachers. One who explains and applies the word. All pastors are also teachers, but not all teachers are necessarily pastors. In a local church such as ours, sometimes there's one or a few pastors, but there are many who are teachers. And it's true in our church that have the gift. Hopefully you're able to match up these descriptions with EDC, uh, EDCBA. It's just the opposite there. You notice there's one there that description is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> one who sows discord or the wrecker of the church. Don't be this person. We are not all called to the same gifts or all have the same passions, but we're to work together. Paul's list of gifts has to do with the servant leadership. In fact, servant leaders equip members for ministry. Servant leaders equip members for ministry. Verse 12 says this. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's not the job of all the paid staff to do all of the work. We do encourage others by doing work and encouraging others to come along with us as well. Servant leaders not only equip members for ministry, but also for maturity, for maturity. Notice verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, what actually means to be full grown we're to continue to grow in Christ, to become more mature, more mature. We're to be growing. We continue to become more and more like, like him as we pay attention to the essential ones that we've mentioned and we stay in the word. Not like children, the next verse says, who are tossed to and fro or picking up every shiny new thing that comes along. Servant leaders equip members for ministry and maturity and for growing in Christ. Verse 15 says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. When the body of Christ is working properly, there will be spiritual growth. We will become more and more like Jesus. Unity is a byproduct of growing in Christ. Speaking the truth in love is a mature thing to do. Now, often when we hear that phrase, speaking the truth in love, we sometimes apply it to questions like, do I look fat in this dress? Listen, good luck with all the applications. It's important to apply these things to what we believe and know the Bible, what the Bible says. But the context of this tells us that these truths about these seven essential ones that we talked about, we're to share those things, but with much love. Because truth without love is brutal. And love without truth is often misguided. So servant leaders equip members for ministry and maturity, for growing in Christ and for growth in the body. 
for growth in the body. Notice the very last verse that we read, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every spirit which is which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. I told you a minute ago that, uh, that I was going to tell you why I thought Parkway Baptist Church maybe was a step above many when it comes to unity or what it is that will keep us going forward in Christ. And here's the reason. It's because you have chosen. You have chosen to fulfill the great commission and to live by the great commandment. It is because we're going to continue to keep before us the words of Jesus that we're going to make disciples, that we're going to love God and to love others and that to be the supreme motivation for everything that we do. So I'm going to encourage you today. That's the direction we're heading. I'm going to encourage you today to jump on the bus and come along with us as we follow Christ. Yesterday morning, got here to the church about 8.30 and I was going to pray for the teenagers as they were going to see them off to Pigeon Forge and the bus wasn't here that they were going to follow. There was some miscommunication and all that was taking place so they had to find the bus and had to find the driver. He got here about 11.45 and the teenagers and adults were here and looked like they were all having a good time here for those three hours or so but it was a long time coming. But I got to tell you when the bus got here I never saw a group more excited. The bus is here! Get on the bus! Let's go and let's get on the bus. Oh, if we could have that same excitement. Oh, if we could have that same feeling about what the Lord has presented here for us today of how the church is supposed to work and how we are to be equipped for ministry, how the Lord has given us the gifts of ministry, how we can be unified in Christ, be heading in the direction that the Lord has. Everybody get on the bus, find the seat, particular seat that they need to be in. And then we say, the bus is here. Get on the bus. You've got a decision to make today. Will you be ready to continue in the direction that maybe the Lord has been leading you? Do you need to get on the bus and follow in the way in which the Lord is leading in this particular church? Or do you need to be sure that you have an opportunity because you're being requested by the Holy Spirit today to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior so that you might have a spot in the direction that the Lord would have us all to go? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. We thank you that we can come and worship freely here today. We thank you for these who are gathered here for worship, Father, and we pray that you may continue to be with us, continue to help us to see the picture of how we are to be united in Christ, how the church is to function according to the body of Christ. Thank you for the invitation to come along and to be a part of that very thing. May we respond to that invitation today and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. If there's one here today that said, needs to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you in faith, for the very first time, put my faith in the Lord Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Father, may they do that very thing. And Father, may all of us understand the place that you have for us, that you've gifted each one of us, and may we use our gifts in ministry and service as you would have us to do. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. We pray, Father, for those who are on the retreat. We pray, Father, for their safety. We pray even now as they're worshiping this morning also. We pray, Father, the impact it will have upon their life. Thank you that we are one in Christ inside these walls and even outside of these walls. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers.